Hey all, Tyler here. I just wanted to plug a sort of recent, but not quite, podcast appearance that we did on Realm of Immersion, hosted by friend of the show, Andrew Reyes. You see, back in October of 2021, we were originally on the show to discuss the then-recently-released Muppets Haunted Mansion, but due to some stuff that Andrew was going through at the time, he wasn't able to get the episode out until just recently, and let me tell you, it is a banger of an episode. Along with Andrew, we're also joined by fellow friend of the show Chandler Desrochers, as well as someone we've recently disassociated with, so we don't want to give him too much attention... But yeah, be sure to check that out wherever you find your podcasts. And now, on with the show. Presenting the eighth wonder of the world. It's a podcast that takes a look at the best and worst of obscure media. And today they had to take a look at this piece of absolute garbage. This is Kit Kong speaking, or Kit Quinn. I'm Tyler Green, appalled by the lack of donkeys in this movie. (laughs) I'm Randy Martin, appalled by the lack of uh, Jessica Lange in this movie. Right. Well, we're appalled by a lot of things, including the lack of effort in this piece of shit. Oh, yeah, especially that. How the fuck did they get? I'm not going to spoil who it is. Uh, And welcome to the third timers club, Jacob Miller. (laughs) How you doing, man? Oh, I'm in a good spot. I'm in a very good spot. No thanks to this movie, but I'm in a good spot. Yay! (laughs) Well, Jacob, you're lucky. With the paycheck that we're giving you bi-weekly, you're able to afford a room at the Empire State Building. Yeah, it's a great view, aside from the occasional giant monkey, but, you know, what are you gonna do? Yeah, you'd think that they'd have a hold on that by now. It's been 90 years now, I think? 90 years to the day. Well, not to the day, but... Well, close enough, yeah. Close. He lives there. Yeah, they just keep him inside the building. It's a little cramped for him, but he'll wave to you if, you, if you're very nice to him and give him bananas. So we are talking about the 1998 Warner Brothers animated movie, The Mighty Kong. So what is everyone's relationship with this movie, starting with Jacob? Okay, so um, with this movie specifically, outside of just seeing it reviewed in places, not very much. Oh, just Kong in general, too. Kong in general... I love this big guy. My previous experiences is that the 1933 original released 90 years ago this month, I love to pieces, even in spite of the very, how do I put this, uh, the very 1933-ness of the racial politics. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is awkward at points, but at the same time, it is one of my favorite movies. I've never seen the 1933 sequel. Yes, they released a sequel in the same year, Son of Kong. Okay. Yeah, I'm surprised too. I've never seen the two King Kong movies that Toho produced, King Kong vs. Godzilla or King Kong Escapes. I've seen the 1976 film, and I'm sure Randy has thoughts on it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's because of Jessica Lange, actually. (laughs) Guys, guys, hear me out. Hear me out. Godzilla and King Kong at the Olympic Games. Yes. <laughs> I paid good money for that. You're welcome. Oh, by the way, yes, the 9-11 Museum does have a Kong 76 poster. Oh, dear Lord. No, there's like a whole exhibit full of like vacation photos and like movie posters and merchandise. Is the poster for the squeeze there? Oh, anything with the Twin Towers in it, they have. Um, 
Apparently, also, uh, there was this thing going on in New York that they still do sometimes. I forget the name of it, but, like, there's a bunch of cow sculptures everywhere, and they just have some abstract painting on it, or something that references what part of New York City they're put in. You bet your ass they had the Twin Cowers. <laughs> <laughs> That's the expansion of Tower of Cows that Arthur didn't tell us about. You see, one of my favorite anecdotes about the 1976 movie, I told you guys about this last night. I think I heard this through podcast, the ride, but uh, they were talking about how they were billing the titular character in that movie as a robot, not a guy in the suit. Well, in this case, it was Rick Baker in like gorilla makeup. So when time magazine or something had to come and do an interview, he had to pretend to be an actual robot (laughs) or something along those lines. I forget. I remember watching Bob Chipman's Schlocktober review of that movie, and the behind-the-scenes stuff is way more fascinating than the movie itself, I swear to God. Also, the fact that it did inspire a pretty cool Universal ride, but that's another story. Well, like I said, I've seen the 76 Kong, and overall, I'm not a fan, but there are aspects of it I like. The effects, you know, range from being incredibly impressive to stuff I look at, I'm like, The 1933 film looks better. Yeah. And Rick Baker is an amazing Kong. He brings some life to that damn monkey. Aww. And Charles Grodin. Yes, Charles Grodin makes everything better. Side note. Charles Grodin. Hell yeah. Side note, Ren... Excuse me. Rene Aubergenois, apologies if I'm butchering that name, was also in the 1970s version. So something, something, two nickels. Every time a Little Mermaid cast member was in a Kong movie, something, something weird, it happened twice. I don't know. Yeah, the amount of Disney connections that we'll get into is just staggering. Oh, man. Yeah, it, it's astounding. Yes. As for the 76 Kong sequel, King Kong Lives... I'm only familiar about it due to the incredibly hilarious Awfully Good Movies episode on it, and its little appearance on Siskel and Ebert's Worst of 86 show, where they revealed that they were not allowed to show clips of King Kong Lives unless they signed an agreement saying that they wouldn't show the clips. Ooh. (laughs) What the fuck? And keep in mind, this was the same production company, Dino De Laurentiis. These are the same people that made... You know, friggin' Death Wish and Maximum Overdrive and so so on and so forth. This was the film that they were like, no, no, you can't show a single moment from this movie. It's too embarrassing. Or Wait, that's is, isn't that the one where Kong gets a heart transplant? The very same. Yep, and he gets a big old lady, Kong, and they have a kid. It's That movie is arguably even worse than the 70s version, but I almost kind of like it better just because it's so bad it's good, whereas the 70s version is just kind of mediocre. Like, although that does have Jessica Lange, which may or may not have awakened something in Little Kit, but that's another story. (laughs) Counterpoint, King Kong Lives has Linda Hamilton. Sarah Connor saves King Kong. There we go. As for Peter Jackson's remake, you know, even in spite of the crushing runtime of that movie, I, I love it. That's a movie that clearly came from a place of love and reverence for the film while also wanting to expand on it i haven't seen all of peter jackson's movies but it's my second favorite of his projects behind the beatles get back 
Hell yeah. I love the 2005 one. It was the first PG-13 movie I ever saw in theaters. And in spite of its flaws, I still just have a good time every time I rewatch it. And I actually really love that they added it to the Universal Tram. They make a pretty fun experience out of it. I love that technically King Kong 2005 and Brain Dead Dead Alive, one of his first movies, technically exist in the same universe. Oh my god, oh, yes. 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 <laughs> yeah, because if you look closely at one of the boxes, you'll see it says... The Sumatran rat monkey, that is the uh, monster that causes the whole fucking ruckus of zombie shenanigans in that movie. Oh so. my god, oh. yes! <laughs> Sick. So, in and- the same universe as King Kong, there is a fucking zombie baby running amok. <laughs> Several decades later. Not to mention one of the greatest lines in cinema history. I kick ass for the Lord! Yeah, on the one hand, I'm pretty slow to the 2005 version for, uh what confrontation ended up getting replaced with. It's just Fast and Furious with an impressive monkey head at the end. Yes. Come on. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Yeah. On the well, other hand, that is probably one of the most badass Kong fights of T-Rex scenes we're ever going to get. And of course, need we forget my favorite excessively wordy title in all of video game history, Peter Jackson's King Kong, the official game of the movie. Released on pretty much everything at the time. God, I miss tie-in video games. <laughs> and of course, Monster vs. Kong. Monster vs. Kong is best Kong. God, I love Kong Skull Island. I'm gonna finally watch Godzilla vs. Kong, the 2021 version tonight, because oh, I need a palate cleanser after this. That movie, of course, is the version where they go to the 2020 Olympics. <laughs> and, of co- and of course, Godzilla vs. Kong is the movie I plugged at the very end of my first appearance. So, uh, see, it's like poetry. It's just, they, they rhyme. Oh, man. It's been <laughs> two years since that episode. And we're, oh, we're all getting old. <laughs> we really are. We've been doing this for almost three years now. What the fuck? Man. So, yeah, I went through a big King Kong hyperfixation. Yes, it was mostly because it had dinosaurs. Shut up. Yeah, I remember when the 2005 one came out. Turner Classic Movies played the original as well as the 70s one. And I think King Kong lives. I don't really remember. My dad and I bonded over them and I just fell in love with them. Like they were, it got me into stop motion. It got me into monster movies. I just had a really great time with all of them. And I love Kong Skull Island. Easily an amazing movie, my favorite Kong movie. It's just a really great franchise all around. And man, am I going to have choice words about how this movie represents the franchise? Ooh, right behind you, ma'am. Right behind yeah. you. <laughs> mm-hmm. I believe women and semen don't mix. Side note. The- <laughs> 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 that Treehouse of Horror episode, by the way, was my very first episode of The Simpsons ever. So, Oh my God, yes. Dude, if it wasn't for women and semen mixing, you wouldn't even be here. (laughs) (laughs) Very true, very true. So, the extent of my history with this movie specifically is that we were initially looking for a replacement to the Mad Monster Party episode we were going to do. We are still doing that this year, by the way. So, So, yeah, Jacob, you, of course, suggested we should do the Mighty Kong. And we decided while that didn't really fit to ho- the Halloween theme. We were going to keep it in our back pocket. You know, like how David Gansel has been keeping his guest choice in his back pocket for... How long is it now? D- a decade? I don't know. 
too long. <laughs> Basically, as long as we've been keeping Kermit Swamp years in our back pocket, which we finally reviewed this year, but... <laughs> and now I never have to watch it again, thank Yay! you. Yay! Yeah, I'm still having to watch the stain out from my back pocket, but I digress. But yeah, I also did kind of go through a kaiju hyperfixation when I was younger. I remember renting the original 1954 Godzilla with Raymond Burr. Ooh, yeah. And just falling in love with it entirely. And of course, that gave me a special interest in stop motion. And I actually had like a book that I think I've rented it from my Boys and Girls Club, but it was a book that talked about like stop motion monster movies for kids. And that was like a whole rabbit hole I went down as a kid. And that led to me, you know, watching the original King Kong. And while I haven't seen it in a long time, it still fucking slaps. Hell yeah. I've seen bits and pieces of the 2005 one, but I remember for Christmas that year, my aunt got me the Kong Skull Island playset, which was like a cardboard Skull Island with Kong action figure and like mini figs of like Jack Black, Naomi Watts, Adrian Brody. Ooh, that's so cool. Yeah, it was cool. I, I, I can't believe I lost it. That sucks. So as far as like the actual, like, you know, even remotely good Kong spinoffs go, the 1933 original, um, I did have a minor hyperfixation on that for a while because I was really into like those, that stop motion puppetry that they had to do before uh, CGI was a thing. It is really neat how they all do that. It, it's what brought me to a Ray Harryhausen hyperfixation as well. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> Funny enough, the only person on Earth who doesn't love Harryhausen was Mabel Pines for a while. I have seen um, the, the uh, 70s version because, you know, that's the one they seem to show on TV the most. Maybe it's easier to get the rights to, I guess. I mean, it's easier, but it's hard considering it took until like last year or two years ago for that movie to get a Blu-ray release. Though, to be fair, that was a Shout Factory release. There were two things in specifics that made me really drawn to that one is one, Jessica Lange. I'm not just gay, I'm also a massive American horror story stand, which like those two kind of go hand in hand. So yes. that and it is the only Kong movie where he climbs up the Twin Towers. Because <laughs> <laughs> at the time in the 70s, they were like brand new. They were like the newest things in New York. So every oh, movie man. that takes place in New York City ever had them like prominently featured or like you know center stage even the whiz had it i think the best picture winning the french connection had footage of them under construction so oh wow yeah. but yeah i think they actually were originally going to you know keep to the theme and you know have him do the empire state building as usual but then they were like hey wait a minute those brand new skyscrapers in uh, lower manhattan just opened and they're pretty popular right now <laughs> The scene of the helicopter crashing into them is not going to age badly, that's for sure. No, no, there's there's nothing about this that could age badly whatsoever. Not the poster, specifically, <laughs> not the poster, no. Which makes him look way bigger than he actually is because he has one foot on each tower. <laughs> Speaking of anniversaries, this movie was also released for the 75th anniversary of the Warner Brothers Company, which... I guess it's not the worst thing they could be doing in the same year that's their anniversary. Hmm. 
Brothers? It's not even a Warner Brothers property. It's an RKO movie that's now owned by Universal. Like the Monsterverse is owned by Warner Brothers, but yeah. To be fair, the Monsterverse is primary legendary thing, and Warner Brothers just has distribution. As far as this movie specifically, um, I've heard about it in passing, and I was like, oh, it must be, you know, one of those uh, kind of underrated, you know, animated movies that no one really talks about. And then I watched it, and I'm like, no, this deserves its underration. I'm genuinely surprised I didn't discover this film during my Kong hyperfixation because I'm genuinely surprised I didn't find it like Blockbuster or Hollywood Video or something, but I'm so glad I didn't. I thought this was going to be a musical, and I was right, but I thought Kong was going to be singing at some point. (laughs) (laughs) That would at least be interesting because this film has so much talent working on it. That's what the poster makes it look like, that he's going to start singing. (laughs) The late, great Sir Dudley Moore, Jody Benson, music by the Sherman Brothers. Just Yeah, the fucking Sherman Brothers. Somebody out there really wanted the Sherman Brothers and Jody Benson to work together. And the finger on the monkey's paw definitely curled, pun intended. Good God, it's pretty sad that the Miss Piggy Goes Hollywood episode of the Jim Henson Hour is a much better use of Dudley Moore and King Kong's talents than this fucking movie. And let it be known... This was Dudley Moore's last movie before his unfortunate passing in 2002. This fucking movie. And also this film was directed by Art Scott, who actually has a really long history in animation. He worked on several Mickey Mouse shorts. He worked on several ABC Saturday Superstar movies. He worked on several Hanna-Barbera properties. This was the only film he sadly got to direct before he passed away in 1999. And it really sucks that this is the only one he got. Like, I don't want to throw insults and be all, Argo Bargle, he sullied the name of King Kong and Marion C. Cooper is rolling in his grave, but it's just... <sighs> Based on the animation quality I'm looking at here, I'm surprised they got anyone from Disney on this. It's... Are you sure this isn't good times? This movie is the equivalent of what Food Fight was to Casablanca. It also reminded me of that terrible Legend of the Titanic movie compared to Titanic 97, which funny enough, the animation for this movie, the Han Shin Corporation, did animation for that fucking movie as well. Oh, God. I was looking at, like, you know, the animation outsourcing companies. There's, like, a whole list They outsourced the hell out of this film, and it shows so bad. We'll have so much to say about the animation, but the character designs and animation just do not mix at all. This movie came out in 1998, right? Now, two other movies that were remakes of classic monster movies came out. Uh, The remake of Mighty Joe Young from Disney. Oh, God, yeah, I remember that. Which is a movie I am gunning for and Escape from Vault Disney on one day. Fingers crossed, rub the randomizer, all that jazz. But the other major classic monster remake thing that came out in 1998 was, of course, Roland Emmerich's Godzilla. Oh, man. I don't care what anyone says. I love that movie. I'm going to spew a hot take here. This is worse than Roland Emmerich's Godzilla. Oh, without a Absolutely. Far worse. And I'm not a fan of that, of Roland Emmerich's Godzilla. So when I say that, that's just, ah. So me, with one of my favorite movies being Independence Day, I'm kind of a ride or die for Roland Emmerich. And even though I would say Godzilla is one of his worst, because Roland Emmerich is Roland motherfucking Emmerich, 
it is still a fun fucking movie to watch. At least that movie has Godzilla in it for more than like 10 or 15 minutes. Like, good God. At least the bad dialogue is entertaining, and at least the special effects are fucking insane. Yes! Oh my god. That's a lot of fish. <laughs> not, not to make another freaking reference to this, but uh, it was the worst thing to happen in New York City since the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. <laughs> god damn it, Randy. Randy. Yet another- I keep forgetting about that line! Just <laughs> Yet another World Trade Center in a monster movie reference that, uh, that didn't age well at all. Oh, man. Oh, boy. Side note, if Independence Day came out today, you know so much of Fox News would bitch about the White House being blown up. Or the speech that the president gives during that movie. Nah, we don't want to come together with the rest of the world. Nah. Hold up, hold up. Let them aliens cook for a second. <laughs> Actually, have you noticed lately that um, in most disaster movies, the majority of... Uh, Major landmarks you see get, like, fucked up are now foreign landmarks. Yeah. Yeah. Wonder why that is. Follow the money. That's all I can tell you. Follow the money. Yeah, like how, uh, how London was the uh, center of attention and resurgence and not so much America. Thank God Pacific Rim showed the setting being in Japan for once instead of America. Like, God, we needed something other than America to be the setting for a monster movie. <sighs> Has Japan not been through enough? So yeah, we should get into this movie, begrudgingly. As much as we don't want to. <laughs> begrudgingly, our feature presentation. So we open with somehow an even more racist portrayal of the indigenous people. Yeah, it spoils the movie before it even starts. And also our only appearance of Kong for 40 fucking minutes. Ugh. They gotta have him that early so you can't say false advertising. Look, there's the monkey. Now here's 40 minutes of nonsense. <laughs> Oh, man. And also, the portrayal of the indigenous people in the 1933 one is not great, but at least one, they were played by actual people of color, which I don't think they were in this movie. Two, they had faces, they were people, and it was genuinely sad to see them getting attacked by Kong. Like, that scene where the baby is stuck, you feel bad for him. It's like... Ah. These indigenous people might as well be fucking aliens. Oh, yeah, and, like, the masks are their face. Like, I know this was a problem with the original, too, but the way they just had their dialogue just be all, it's like, you didn't even try. You didn't even try to make this less racist. It's mildly excusable in 1933. Very, very, very mildly. But by 1998, you should have known better. Better. Exactly. And don't forget the fat leader who makes squishy sounds when he runs, because get it? He's fat. <laughs> oh, God. Take a drink every time there's a terrible slide whistle sound effect or cartoon sound effect in this movie. You will be dead by the end. I couldn't take any of the fucking action sequences seriously because of those fucking cartoon sound effects. I have choice words for some of the action sequences, but I'm saving them. It's like that one Bond movie where they insert the fucking slide whistle sound effect over the car doing a barrel roll. <laughs> oh god, man with the golden gun, yeah. Yeah, that Amazing one. stunt. Impressive that they pulled it off, shat on by that slide whistle. Sorry, I'm a Bond nerd. I, I get really passionate about that stuff. Yeah, this movie does to the slide whistle what Johnny tested to the whip crack. And then we cut to, oops, sorry, I turned on cats by mistake, or rats from Hey Arnold. 
where we get uh, the first of the Sherman Brothers' songs, and we are clearly working with their D material here tonight, folks. Yeah, this is so obviously from that period in the Sherman Brothers' history where it's like they both hated each other and everything they did was just like, let's just get this over with so I don't have to hang out with this guy anymore. I rewatched The Boys a couple of days ago and they did not mention this movie. I cannot imagine why. I am shocked and appalled. I mean, maybe Warner Brothers was protective of it somehow, but they showed Snoopy come home and other non-Disney movies and that, so what's the excuse? Bugs Bunny is in multiple Disney Plus documentaries. So we cut to Carl Denham, played by Dudley Moore in this movie. Oh, and- sorry, no, he's not Carl Denham, he's C.B. Denham. See, and they have a scene where they say CBD on the sign, I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> I need to be on that to watch this movie. <laughs> So I love I love that when the showgirls are singing the song about CB Denim, they're singing I just wanted them to cap it off with 85% of the time. It's just, they accidentally cut to like all the animal skulls in a closet somewhere and it's like, uh, pay no attention to those. <laughs> Take a shot every time they just do a thing with the animation where they're clearly just pressing the rewind and fast forward button over and over again. Oh, God. <laughs> that shit I do. Take another shot for uh, weird, unnecessary slow motion. Take another shot from when it goes to um, uncannily fluid to, um, like, prototype South Park. Take two shots for every time they use some ugly-ass After Effects shit on this movie. I don't really blame the animators because, for all we know, the studio was more than likely fucking rushing them. Oh god, yeah. Like, I feel so bad because I know animation is hard and I don't like to be all Nyargle Bargle, I could do better than that because I could not. But, like, these character designs just really don't mesh with the animation style and it's just really awkward and I don't know what the hell they were doing with the voice direction for this movie, but it ranges from being way too fucking slow and lax for its taste to being all over the goddamn place. Like, with the late great Dudley Moore's voice acting, I don't want to sound insensitive, but he was diagnosed with Parkinson's a year after this movie came out, and you can kind of see that he's really struggling to get through his lines. Yeah, he, he yeah. is trying, for what it's worth. Yeah. But yeah, with the art style... It's all over the fucking place because you have like these chiseled jawed characters who look exactly like they would at the ni- in the 1930s. But then you have the sailors who look like fucking characters from the Gene Deitch Tom and Jerry cartoons. Oh my god, Ooh. yeah. And, and then you have like this one guy who looks like the fucking Fonz. <laughs> like it's the 1930s and he looks like he's from an Elvis movie. <laughs> like Kit. Kit, you said that the character designs don't mesh with the animation. The character designs don't mesh with the other character designs. Yep. They all look like they're from different movies. It's, uh. There was one frame where it looked like it was a crossover between, like, Beauty and the Beast and Dilbert. Topical! Yeah, and the thing with Roscoe, too, is that, so, was he supposed to be an anti-Semitic caricature? I have no idea. the nose and everything, because, good lord. He looked like a human gyro gear loose to me. That's what he looked like. (laughs) Well, that's an insult to Gyro Gear Loose. Agreed. I apologize. <laughs> also, Roscoe is entirely useless as a character. If you got rid of him, you would lose nothing. He is in this solely to be the comic relief. And God, it, yes. It just doesn't work. We've had three King Kong movies without this character, and they work just fine. 
Honestly, if you just removed all the animation cells and showed nothing but the backgrounds with the music cues, I'd pretty much be getting the same story I'm getting from this now. Also, this movie will take scenes from the original and either just drag them out for no reason or make them even worse. Like the scene where they find Anne's trying to steal the apple. How they have Jodie Benson introduce herself just sounds, I mean, much love to her, but whatever they're doing with her voice direction in this movie... I don't know what the hell is going on because they're like, I will say I did get a mild chuckle out of her saying, well, if I'm going to jail anyway, give me that. I'm undermined by the earlier line, just like, you think these apples grow on trees? Just fuck you. Listen, I'm against stealing from small businesses, but that fucking shop owner needed to get pelted with an apple. Honestly, like, with Jody Benson's lines, it feels like all they could afford from her was like one take per line. Also, say what you will about Anne in the 1933 one. She was likable. She was fun. Faye Ray played her amazingly. I love Jodie Benson, but whatever they were doing with Anne Darrow in this movie, they just make her either into a complete bitch or no personality at all. She is uh, very forgettable in this movie, which is something I did not think I'd say about a character played by the little fucking mermaid. Exactly. Not just any character, but... One of the most iconic characters in cinema history. Mm-hmm. There was only one scene in this movie that I liked with her character. It's the scene with the Polly Ali song. That song is by far in between the best song in this movie. Yes. She's the dolly, the dolly of Polly, the dolly of Polly Ali Gosh, oh golly, they all go off the trolley because they love my Polly Ali smile. And again, it's wasted on this piece of shit. It deserved an infinitely better movie than this. That was the only song in this that felt like a proper Sherman Brothers song. It really that, does. This had to be like some sort of unused Annette Funicello song that they found in like their suitcase or something. Like, uh, here, you just you can use this one. Also, did anybody notice in one of the scenes on the ship that they somehow snuck Yoho, a pirate's life for me, into this movie? Oh my god. <laughs> We're losing the sun. Yo ho, yo ho, a season desist for me. Hey, did Quest <laughs> for Camelot not so badly want to be a Disney princess movie? Well, how about this fucking movie? <sighs> There's a bit with the Jodie Benson character where she's underwater with animals. Gee, I, I can't imagine where I've seen this before. I mean, I'm just so stumped. And she has pink hair instead of red hair. Get it? And then also they felt the need to add a song over the fucking diner scene, and it just sounded like a ripoff of Sister Suffragette, as well as substitutionary locomotion. It's like, come on, I know this wasn't the best era for the Sherman Brothers, but why does every song, even when they sound good, just sound like a diet version of their other songs? Also, why did this movie need a cute kid and an animal sidekick? Yes, because that was the one thing that was... Missing from King Kong. A little kid and a wacky animal sidekick. I kept forgetting that they existed because they serve absolutely no purpose. Also, I thought that they just named the monkey character Chimp. Turns out his name is Chips. There was a monkey for like five seconds on the boat in the original, so why don't we introduce one in this movie and make it a main character despite it doing nothing? Well, at least there's no racist Chinese chef this time. I mean, do they even explain why Ricky is on the boat in the first place? 
I guess he's like a cabin boy or something. I don't fucking know. Because the children watching this need a relatable child character to project themselves onto. Every child wants to be friends with King Kong and have a pet monkey. This will make money if we have that. Because it works so well for Ninja Turtles, Ghostbusters, Batman. If we just keep doing this trope over and over and over again, eventually it'll work, right? I'm ripping off musical hell when I say this, but he was giving big Wesley from Star Trek vibes, and at least Wesley could act. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. Like, you could tell they were pitching the actor's voice up. (sighs) <sighs> because I've seen, I know this actor, Jason Gray Stanford. He was in Monk. He does not sound like this at all. Also, Anne randomly throws him under the bus and is all, "Um, you can be my entourage. You basically do nothing but live." And I'm just like, "Am I supposed to like her or not?" And that's the thing too. Later on in the movie, everybody's being so chauvinistic towards Anne, and it. N- Everybody in this is just an asshole. Nobody in this is remotely likable at all. Like, they make Jack way worse than the original. Like, don't get me wrong, he was kind of an asshole in the original too, but the movie showed him going through a character arc and learning to be nicer to Anne. He's a more subtle ass in the 33 film. Like, Bruce Cabot also played him really well, and here they just turn him into evil Eric, basically. Like... Is that what they were going for with his design? I thought they were going for evil Fonzie. (laughs) We should mention, too, during the scenes on the boat, we get this very, very uneasy-to-watch filter where everything on this boat, in these scenes, the camera is tilting, like, left and right, left and right, and it's so fucking disorienting. Way too many close-ups. Give me a close-up! A close-up! When the sailors are explaining, you know, the legend of Skull Island, it just zooms in on their fucking faces and we don't know why. And then also at one point, Anne says, monkey make coffee. And I'm just like, stop making me just want to listen to Jonathan Colton. (laughs) Skull Island Crusher Mountain. (laughs) Yes. But yeah, at the same time. Why the fuck does Jack have to blame everything on Anne? Like, I know she's a bitch in this, but come on, man. I would say that the uh, sexism he's expressing is, like, way too over-exaggerated and unrealistic, but he sounds exactly like a dude bro podcast. Their chemistry in this movie is Ben Shapiro totally not lusting over AOC. That's what it is. <laughs> also, they have a weird intro to the Polyoli song where they're like, what do we gotta call it? Greenland? Too cold. A county? Too busy. And I'm just like, I can't imagine kids being even remotely interested at this point. Yeah, they just want to get to the giant fucking gorilla. You know, the entire point of the fucking movie? The one that takes up 50% of the fucking box? Say what you will about the Peter Jackson movie spending too much time on the boat. The two hours of Kong and dinosaurs and cool creatures and everything that happens after makes it worth it. Here... Half the fucking movie is the boat. We get more of that fucking chips monkey than we do of the title character. Also, Carl, please never call a woman a jungle princess. Oh, God. 
And he calls her a fucking jinx, too, so... Uh, he's probably got some other delightfully racial epithets underneath his belt. Too many skeletons in the cabinet. He was definitely one of those Americans who supported the Nazis before World War II. Going back to Polly Ollie, it is the best song in the movie and deserves a way better movie, even if at times I was just wanting to listen to Beautiful Briny Sea or Pineapple Princess. And also, a Jody Benson character in the water with Finn never been done before ever hey this is the star who was in that thing remember that thing we have the star here she's doing the thing from that thing that made her super popular please like our thing did those starfish look way too much like patrick for anybody's comfort i thought the same thing yes those starfish inspire patrick's design because spongebob came out a year after this movie Oh, look, a monkey. No, not that monkey. Yay. No, look, more indigenous stereotypes. What if those natives are unfriendly? They should be unfriendly to y'all. You're all racist and shitty. You're all fucking colonizers. What if the natives are unfriendly? Leave. If the natives are unfriendly, leave. Go Captain Cook on those colonizers' asses. I'd be rooting for them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's what I wish would happen, because when Roscoe's dumbass trips and interrupts the human sacrifice, why didn't they just fucking stab everyone right away? Yes, just kill them all and end the movie sooner. Just sacrifice them all. Why are we putting the fucking human sacrifice debate in a kid's movie? <sighs> and then also, they suddenly force a romance between Jack and Anne for no goddamn reason. None of this is fucking warranted. The dude's a fucking misogynist. They sit, they start singing this fucking love song to each other literally out of nowhere. All he's done is be a dick to her, and now they love each other? Is this why men are the way they are today? Probably. Why? I have one question. Why is most of this romantic song projected on canvas for no good goddamn reason? That too! It's such a boring, basic 90s love ballad. It sounds like something you'd hear at like 3am when you accidentally left the TV on and they're airing one of those classic songs CDs. Emmy Bait. Emmy Bait. (laughs) Are you sure this was written by the Sherman brothers and not Celine Dion, but in like two minutes while she was drunk? Again, not to be all argle-bargle the original, but like, at least in the original, Jack goes through a character arc and he actually spends a lot of time with Anne and you can kind of see why she would like him because at least he starts to learn to be nicer. Here, no. Not at all. Just, just out of nowhere. I was like, wait, 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 wait. There's supposed to be a couple? And also, somehow it takes Ricky, like, two minutes to figure out that Anne got kidnapped, because it's like, oh, this is her necklace, I, I, I'll go give it back to her, Argle Bargle, this movie's not long enough. And then he has the gall to escape the, uh, ship and sail back to Skull Island, and when he's talking about, oh, that's what we're doing, we're pitching in, I was fully expecting him to get murdered ten seconds later. Uh, It would have been funny if a fucking pteranodon just scooped him up right then and there. (laughs) (laughs) Now that wouldn't really fit because there are barely any dinosaurs in this movie. That's true. Apparently there's like, there's like two seconds of one, but I apparently must have blinked during that part because I don't remember a single god dang dinosaur in this thing and just... Again, not to go back to the 76 film, but at least when they took out the dinosaurs, they had the decency to have a fight with a snake where Kong rips open the snake's jaw and there's like 
gore because it was the 70s and you could still have gore in a PG movie for some reason. Exactly. Yes. That's cool. Like That's cool. For all the time this movie spends on the fucking ship, it could at least, at the bare minimum, have you know more time for fight scenes. And I get it. Animating fight scenes are very hard, but like, it's fucking King Kong. Another reason I would have hated this movie, is, even as a kid, barely any fucking dinosaurs and no cool scenes where he fights any of them, or at the least they speed through them so much, you might as well not have added them at all. Oh, wait till we get to the T-Rex fight. Also, they barely give Kong a personality in this and barely make him and Anne have any chemistry. Like, he blows on her like in the 70s one, and that's it! How did the 70s one give them better chemistry? How? Only took 42 minutes, but we have that giant gorilla we promised. He's only on here for five minutes. And by the way, once he gets to the um, one of the most iconic scenes from the original movie, it's like five seconds. One of my notes for this movie is magical gorilla breath romantic. I used to play bass for magical gorilla breath. In one of the action sequences where Jack and CB are trying to escape, there's this fucking explosion that happens, but the sound is completely out of sync with the explosion. (laughs) So you hear an explosion, but then two seconds later, you see the explosion happen with no sound effects at all. Yes. Also, I know this is probably a question to be had with any Kong adaptation, but I think along with the giant gorilla, wouldn't scientists be interested in the possibility of, gee, I don't know, dinosaurs still being alive somewhere? Also, how the fuck are they going to get that giant gorilla on the boat? One gas bomb knocks him out. It's... Why? Oh, oh, one thing I hate that they do. So, in every version of the movie, essentially, Skull Island is fine, but Kong is forcibly kidnapped from it to show, like, you know, the cruelty and the hubris of man to, you know, take this creature off of away from his home and then treat him like a monster. No, instead, it turns out the whole island is being devoured by a volcano because it predicted Fallen Kingdom. And they're like, well, we can't just leave him here, so it's the morally right thing to do to take him to New York City. And also, the boat's not big enough. He's You're just gonna have to, like, drag him underwater the whole time. Like, I don't even like Jurassic World Dominion, but that movie did way more with its dinosaurs than this fucking movie did. Just, ugh. Also... There's this stupid fucking bit where CB and Roscoe jump off of the cliff and they use the fucking film reel as a bungee cord. That's... How? How does that fucking work? That's not how film works. Even in the days of a flammable-ass nitrate film, that's not how film works. Even, like, the modern-day 70 millimeters strong as hell can withstand anything film... Would still snap if you tried anything like this with it. Also, Carl was bitching about how the film equipment was really delicate, and he's just now using it like that. It's like, motherfucker, no wonder you're failing as a director. You treat film like shit. This film equipment is so delicate, but also at the same time, it works just as good as a regular bungee cord. This movie is hitting all of my nerd rage buttons. Oh, God, <laughs> I don't blame you. Once they get Kong back to New York, Anne is suddenly like, oh, I feel so bad for him. It's like, you barely got to know him at all. But hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Wasn't it the quote unquote morally right thing to do to get him off that island anyway? 
Now we're going back to the man is selfish plot. That's the whole point of this fucking story. Also, they do nothing to make you feel bad for him in this movie. Like, he's barely there. You don't give a shit that he's stuck. It's, ugh. Again, all this time on a fucking boat when we could have been establishing the relationship of the monster whose name is in the title. And also, I did get a small laugh out of, he can't survive in Jersey. No one can. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, even in the 30s, it was cool to shit on Jersey. Good for them. Sometimes this movie is funny. Actually, that's the only time this movie is funny. Jersey gave us Springsteen, and that's the only good thing Jersey's ever given us outside of the other good jersey stuff y'all mentioned my main point of reference is springsteen also if i was in that crowd i'd be so pissed off that they were wasting my time with all this big musical number which probably had people in brown face by the way oh it did there were fucking white guys on stage dressed as natives good god (laughs) even the fake musical in this can't be less racist how well now i know where the peter jackson version got that little uh, particular plot element yeah and it's and they have a retread of the first song and i will say it sounded a little better but again this movie just wasted soundtrack so goddamn much How did they get the Shermans for this? (laughs) I I hope they were at least paid well for this. Agreed. So yeah, anyway, the thing that everyone knows happens, happens, and Kong gets loose. Kong escapes? Oh my god, no. Really? I don't know why this bothers me so much, but he eats a whole stand of head cheese. Why does that bother me less than him eating people? Yeah, that fucking couple just dies out of nowhere, too. There is a clip on YouTube of the fucking scene with the two with the couple and how Kong accidentally kills them. Basically, it's called Kong kills two people. And that made me laugh (laughs) way harder than anything in this movie. I will say I did get a small laugh out of her saying I wasn't feeling guilty enough. Yeah, CB Denim throws her under the bus by saying that it's her fault that they brought Kong to New York and God, I just want this to be over. I got one more thing about their rampage. Oh God, go ahead. I have a note and it's very eloquent. I thought you couldn't possibly make Kong's rampage through New York lane because that's like a highlight of pretty much every single adaptation of the story, right? Exactly. You know, the 33 film, impressive. The 76 film, very impressive. The 2005 film, uh, ice skating notwithstanding, impressive. Yes! This... Kong plays golf with a street lamp, and I just went, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Just right to the TV in the middle of the day. Fuck you. Also, Anne somehow manages to grab that pole when she falls. How? They also, for some reason, she's like asleep throughout the whole Kong grabbing her and climbing to the top of the building. And he puts her down and then just completely ignores her the rest of the time. Good God. Could they only afford, like, one, maybe two screams from Jody Benson? Probably. Could they only afford that many screams and couldn't even be bothered to reuse them? That's supposed really? to be the saddest part of the movie. He's up there, stuck on this building, trying to protect this lady he's absolutely in love with. Oh, my God. And, and here, he just ignores her the whole time. He's like, okay, I'm just gonna put you down here and swat at the planes now. And also, you get all these cool-ass stop-motion effects in the original here you get all these lame cut scenes that just barely show the planes barely show kong and cut to the crowd it's a mess oh not to mention that every time kong swats down a plane if i may be so bold as to quote uh, one of the early dragon ball z dubs look i can see their parachutes they're okay (laughs) (laughs) i just want to bring up the part where Anne falls off the empire state building and then i think gets caught by uh 
I forgot his name already, the Fonz. It literally is shot for shot, an exact remake of that one Knuckles falling scene from Sonic Underground, the way she's like falling. <laughs> oh my God. She's like halfway, she's like halfway falling off the building and then he grabs her and they're back at the top. Yeah, that should have broken both of his fucking arms. They also have Jack bitching about going up the stairs, and I'm like, yes, movie, I could be watching Avengers Endgame right now. Stairs! Or Ghostbusters! Yes! Fuck. Y- you know, the Empire State Building had elevators back then. Is is he not aware of this? He could have just went up an elevator. Not, uh, yeah, but you see, uh, if you don't take the stairs everywhere you go, you're not a real man. <laughs> you're not a real alpha male. Now, excuse me, as I go get irrationally mad at chocolate bars on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so Khan fucking falls, and they reenact the whole death scene and say that it was beauty that killed the beast line, and you think, well, okay, at least it's going to have a mature ending. Nope, Kong wakes up. He's alive! He survived uh, falling off the fucking Empire State Building. And now- Completely negating the whole tragedy of the story. And Anne is still a social pariah. Nice going, movie. Yeah, the whole having Kong live at the end kind of undermines the whole ending, and I, I hate it. I just hate it. And also, he he caused so much mass destruction and killed people, and everybody's happy that he's alive. Like, why? Oh, no, he killed exactly zero people in that movie, because when he was rampaging through New York, all he did was get into shenanigans. Every airplane he swatted, oh, yep, there's parachutes, they're fine. And also, they have scenes where the monkey is checking on Kong, because, get it, they're both primates. We, we, we got him, you know... Justify having the monkey in this somehow. So, burn the tapes, right? God, I initially was going to give this a donate at worst because I was like, you know, this isn't, this is bad, but I don't know if this is worse than some of the stuff I've reviewed. But upon rewatching, no, it's a burn the tapes. It's a waste of talent. It's a waste of a good idea. There's a way you could make a cool animated Kong movie, and it's not this. It just wastes the original, and it's just. Even and I can't even recommend it for kids because it's so fucking boring. You, you want to know how bad I thought this was? I was watching this and I was like, "There's no way Phelous hasn't reviewed this yet." So I actually <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. So I actually looked up Kong Returns Phelous. Somehow not yet. Wow. Prime material for him. Prime. Like I'm sitting here just watching this, thinking Phelous has to have covered this, right? That. I can just picture old the old man coming out of the corner. I just thought of a good idea. Burn the tapes like the King Kong encounter at Universal. Oh, oh. too soon, Kit. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Burn the tapes like they're a bunch of masters from Universal Music Group artists left in a warehouse. Too soon, Tyler. Burn it like Warner Brothers Discovery is burning their entire catalog right now. Burn it? Like the hospital at the end of the original Mighty Joe Young. <laughs> to tie it back to Marion C. Cooper and Ernest B. Shojack and Willis O'Brien and Ray Harryhausen and all of them. I have to apologize to the 1976 Kong. I have to apologize to that movie because I thought that was the weakest way of telling the original King Kong with a bunch of pointless additions that don't really add anything to the film. The oil satire stuff, the taking out of dinosaurs, the, 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 the just all the, all the stuff that the, the tracks from that movie. I thought that was the worst. I had not seen true crap. I have not seen true monkey crap until I saw this movie. <laughs> burn, 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 like, 
And one more thing. One more. A just final, damning indictment of this movie, in my opinion. Every movie that tells the story of the original King Kong, from the 1933 film all the way up to the 2005 Peter Jackson remake, mm-hmm. what the three major ones have in common is that they are all excuses to showcase the cutting edge technology, what the medium of film and special effects can do, yes. what, the, what that medium can produce. This movie, just by, by virtue of it just being cheap and lazy and just downright ugly, I think that, that in and of itself is probably the biggest insult to the legacy of King Kong that this movie has. Absolutely. So yeah. You said it better than any of us could. Just just burn the tapes. How the fuck do you make a giant monkey movie this boring? It's on the same level as Kermit, Swamp Years, and Freddy as FRO7 for me. Like, maybe not the worst thing I've reviewed for this podcast, but it's way so much talent that it's way harder to watch. Unlike FRO7, there's no Nazis in this one, at least. I don't think there is. Thank God. I just hope that the MonsterVerse at Warner Brothers isn't dead, because, man, we deserve way more good Kong movies by Warner Brothers than this fucking movie. Apparently, Godzilla vs. Kong 2 is still in production, with Adam Wingard returning to direct, so fingers crossed. Maybe they'll even get all the other monsters in it as well. That'll be fun. At least Mothra. I I at least want to see Mothra back. Yes, my queen! Yes, best girl! So, Jacob, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. And of course, editing all of our yes, episodes. we love you, or at least the majority of them since last year. Oh, uh, yeah, thank you. Um, I, I have my usual stuff to plug. Uh, for one, the very podcast you're listening to, I'm an editor on yeah. it. So I'm listening to this, you're supporting meta, me as meta, well. Meta. <laughs> um, yeah. I also have my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash slice zero thirty three. My most recent video is. Uh, it's a, it's a rather shit posty one. Aww. It's one where I took Metallica's one, but I only had the first and last words of each line. So <laughs> it's it's very it's very gappy there, and uh, it just made me laugh. I'm I'm on Twitter. Uh, you know what? Until Elon burns the site down for the insurance money, <laughs> I'm on there at on at Jacob Miller zero thirty three. And, uh, well, as is tradition, I'm going to plug a movie coming out soon that I think y'all should see. You know what? Actually, I don't need to do that. There's one in theaters right now that I think everybody should see. Go see Cocaine Bear, because that movie is a yes. hell of a lot of fun. Yes. As soon as I, I get money, I'm going to do it. Such a better monster movie than this movie. Anyway. And Hell yeah. So I'm kind of taking a social media break, so I'm going to kind of keep my links on the low for a while. But I'm going to plug our good friend Marissa's link for the GoFundMe for the Save the Flurry Festival. Now, they did recently hit their goal to be able to have their festival next year, but they still need $50,000 in order to keep going throughout the years. So yeah, go check them out. It seems like a really great dance convention and it means a lot to her. And I'm so glad that it's slowly getting there. Uh, you can uh, find me on Twitter, Cosmic Rewind. You know the drill. YouTube, same thing. Kong didn't even sing in it. What yeah. the fuck? <laughs> You're going to have it look Fair like play. Kong is going to sing, do a little song and dance on top of the Empire State Building with Anne and you don't deliver? At least the actual Kong musical has that cool animatronic. You could have had him rip the hubcap off of a car and use it as a top <laughs> yeah. hat while he's singing. You fucked it up, movie. <laughs> fuck. When a, a Rugrats game for the PlayStation 1 is doing things that you refuse to do, th- that is 
That is bad. Very, very bad. All right. And as for me, you can find me on the usual spots, TylerFG on Twitter, TylerFG96 on Instagram. As for the show, you can find us on Twitter at channel underscore KRT on Twitter. Channel KRT podcast, all one word on Instagram. And we also have our Discord server and our Facebook group, which you can find in the link tree in our Twitter bio. And if you want to help support us, we have two options. First, you can find us on Patreon, where we have exclusive minisodes, outtakes, and episodes of this very podcast at its earliest convenience. And we also have a Ko-Fi page where you can also find exclusive minisodes and outtakes, but you can buy those individually for $5 a pop. Or if you just want to donate money to us, you can do that as well. And of course, thank you so much to our pals Bennett Ballard, Chris Rana, and Tony Goldmark for pledging to us at the $10 level. And an extra special thank you to our executive producers, Mike and Gomer, for pledging Hell to yeah. us. Hell yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, one more thing I forgot to add to my plug. Um, the link will be on Marissa's Twitter page, Kermit Wazowski. So yeah, find it there. All right. Channel KRT, do the monkey. Ooh, ooh, ah, ah, ooh, ooh, ah, ah, do the monkey. Do the monkey with me. But you gotta wait like you gotta wait like forty minutes in between each monkey.